0: One app, over three hundred thousand travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator.
1: What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the First and Ten podcast, brought to you by Blogging the Boys powered by SB Nation, as always, Tony Catalina and Aiden Davis here to bring you some Cowboys talk in this offseason, kind of slow period here, but you know what, with the Cowboys and America's team in the NFL, we always find things to talk about that are interesting and, you know, worthy of discussion. So, Aiden, how are you doing today on this uh, this uh, beautiful Sunday, where at least where I am? I'm doing well.
0: And in- Honestly, we've been blessed. Is it good that the Cowboys haven't really been in the headlines this offseason? Obviously, you're going to get like the DAC debate and you're going to get uh, the national media is always going to cover the Cowboys. But we haven't touched on the fact that the Cowboys have had a relatively drama free offseason so far. I mean, knock on wood, <laughs> the offseason technically is still well underway. But how, don't you feel like this has been a little bit of an abnormally calm offseason for the Cowboys?
1: Well let me ask you this Aiden now you do you believe in jinxes do you believe in uh magic there because uh I'm with you and but saying it you almost don't want to say you gotta like cross your fingers and your toes and stuff but no, you're absolutely right it's uh it's been quiet it's been good like it's been about football it's been about talent acquisition it's about um the X's and O's which I love I don't want to talk about things that are irrelevant to the football team um off the field so no, I think you're right there
0: yeah and I mean like Even like when you talk about the drama from last offseason, when after the Cowboys lost to the 49ers the first time in the playoff, like it felt like everything around the Cowboys organization was melting down. And we had like there was a similar exit this year, but you add an offensive coordinator like there's the Cowboys have made changes, but so far it's been relatively calm. I've actually kind of been enjoying it.
1: You know, listen, this is a conversation that we didn't really kind of plan to have, but we can kind of dive into a little bit. I think it's the it's the comfortability that Dan Quinn and Mike McCarthy bring right two twelve and five seasons back to back. We haven't had that kind of stability in a while. I mean, two you know double digit win seasons will kind of you kind of trust what they got going on It hasn't you know projected or won us the ultimate prize, but at the same time you you f- you feel like the Cowboys have putting in into into principle here a thing that's really uh sustainable or buildable
0: yeah and one thing you mentioned, Mike McCarthy and Dan Quinn. I think Mike, one thing about Mike McCarthy that I think is underrated is, and I'm not in the locker room, I don't really know this to be the case, but it seems like he does have a command over this team that Jason Garrett didn't. And like, I know we always throw Jason Garrett under the bus, but it just feels like Mike McCarthy has everything handled. And like, I feel safe knowing that, at least on like the back end of it. McCarthy had. It's his team. Do you get that same vibe from McCarthy?
1: I do, and you know what? I think it helps that his his right hand man is Dan Quinn, who yeah. seems to be really revered and people really like in this fan base, and he's doing a lot of good things. So I think the combination of the two is what has the. If I could speak for the fan base, has everybody in this like, all right, we trust the process here. I think we can get something working here, and I think I think it's a good mix with the two of them.
0: And when's the last time we've been able to just I. I understand you might like not every listener and not even like us at times, we still doubt McCarthy. It's not like we're the biggest Mike McCarthy stands in the world, but when's like, this is the most faith I've had in the Cowboys coaching staff. Like, I, I don't know, maybe in my lifetime. I can't think yeah. of like, like, I mean, I haven't, I wasn't around in the nineties. So like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I've had more faith in the Cowboys coaching staff than this.
1: I think that's a, I think that's a fair estimate. I mean, looking at it, like there's been big names. There's been some, you know, the the Dave Campos, the Jason Garrett, but then there's like the Bill Parcells, and you know, so it's, like you said, I, I mean, when when you win double digit seasons for the what the first time in like, seventeen years or something like that, like yes, yeah. it's, it's that's the familiarity that we haven't seen but should be the standard for the Cowboys. The, the standard for Dallas Cowboys organization shouldn't be playoffs every other year, a first, you know, playoff game exit. It should be 12 wins, 13 wins, 11 win seasons, go to the playoffs, win a playoff game, see if you can get over the hump. So the fact that, like, we're in that world here, we're going into year three, and you look at a lot of people, some people are optimistic, some people are pessimistic by nature. I don't think anybody thinks this team isn't, a, you know, a, a above 500 football team with a chance to do something special.
0: And that's I mean, I've said on this show a lot, and I will continue to say it. I think we underestimate the amount of luck that goes into the NFL playoffs. Like at the end of the day, yeah, you're playing four quarters of football and like the better team has an advantage in a given game. But there's a lot of luck that goes into the playoffs. So if you like the best way to win a Super Bowl is not to just go all in on building like the most amazing team one year. I think the better strategy is just to build a really good team that can consistently win 12 to 13 games, consistently get in the playoffs and then let luck take over because eventually it's going to bounce your way. And so, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to make excuses for the past losses, but I do think just getting to the playoffs is the first step in winning a Super Bowl and getting back to that
1: 90s lore. Totally agree like you can't you can't win it If you don't get in the dance so you gotta yeah. try To give yourself as many shots as you can especially With this nucleus and and it's It's the easy segue to our First topic that we're going to talk about here is People knowing their role and having The, the places or the people in place To kind of help you get that and you know This we took a lot of ideas from The Cowboys link dump that you did That will come out Monday morning actually before This show comes out so you know if You're going through your early morning you wake up with your Coffee you'll probably be reading uh, Aiden davis's you know links that he posted but one of the first ones that caught my eye was you talking about brian schottenheimer and how that there's no ego to the cowboys and brian schottenheimer kind of explains his new role in the offense and before i kind of ask you your thoughts on it i kind of want to give the quote that schottenheimer said because i think this is really well stated he said quote there's no ego on my part i just want to win i want to help this team win for the players first and foremost and for this organization and the jones family like to, to your initial point, like, that's what it's all about. Like, I know that Kellen Moore to Brian Schottenheimer, people are nervous about what that's going to look like. His, you know, his track record, how is that going to impact this offense? But this is the type of mindset with the tough nucleus that we have here that could be a winning recipe. I don't know if you feel the same way.
0: Yeah, I definitely feel the same way as you. I think that the most important part about this quote is, like, I... I'm not going to come out and be the, I'm not the biggest Brian Schottenheimer fan in the world. We can talk about our trust in him later. But I think the point of this quote is that even if you don't trust Brian Schottenheimer, and even if you're complete, if even if you think that this was the worst possible offensive coordinator hire, I still think you should be encouraged by this quote because what this tells me is yeah. Brian Schottenheimer, he's going to take a series backseat this season to what McCarthy sees as like it's McCarthy's offense. And I don't think, I think Brian Schottenheimer intentionally, he didn't, say it out as outwardly as this, but he said like, this is a position I'm, I've never been in before that position being, yeah, he's just, he's, he describes himself as a teacher. And I think that's what Brian Schottenheimer is doing. He's not going to be calling plays. He's not, it's not really going to be his offense. He's just going to be a a little bit more than an advisory role in my mind. And so to me, that's good news because I mean, say, the ship is going to sink or it's going to sail smoothly. But this is McCarthy's offense now, and so I mean, it's it's his. It's not Schottenheimer's.
1: Hundred percent, and I think that a lot of the Brian the Brian Schottenheimer conversation was. A little extreme, right? I think when people saw the Kellamore to him switch, they assumed that they were gonna, you know, pound the rock or change the whole dynamic or the identity of this team. Now, obviously, he's gonna have more input and there's gonna be some more situations where it's not gonna be Kellamore-esque anymore, it's not his offense. But like you said, and, and to kind of echo that point, this is Mike McCarthy's team. Like his career. I mean, we've said how comfortable we feel with him at the helm, but you know, if you don't progress and you get two three straight years of disappointing playoff appearances like that's when the screws get tightened a little bit there and then you don't really know with this team and this owner what Mike McCarthy's future is going to hold so yes I think Brian Schottenheimer's role is going to be an important one but it won't be the deciding factor like you said I think even Brian Schottenheimer himself over you know the you know the spring or even in the winter he said you know, mostly it's going to be during the week. I'm going to input during, you know, game planning and stuff like that. But when, when the show's on and it, you know, they got the headset on, it's going to be Mike McCarthy's game to call. And I think that's a good mix for this offensive staff. And
0: we did talk about it when he got hired. I mean, Brian Schottenheimer to his credit, he hasn't orchestrated the best offenses of all times. In fact, if you look at his offensive rankings, If you haven't looked at his offensive rankings yet, I wouldn't encourage you to do so if you want to remain optimistic. But like we said, A, he's not going to be a head coach. And B, he's still a good running game coordinator. Like He gets a lot of flack for, yeah, he really liked to run the ball. But his running games in general were pretty efficient, especially in Seattle. Like They didn't have a great offensive line, and yet he was still able to orchestrate some pretty impressive running games. So I do want to ask you a question, though. Where there's smoke, there's fire. We've seen McCarthy. The quote was taken a little bit out of context, but clearly he is interested in, at least based off the quote, he does want to run the ball more. Hire Brian Schottenheimer, who is a running game guy. Do you think this Cowboys offense, is is it going to be even more run focused than last year?
1: I think there's going to be run elements, right? Because I think Brian Schottenheimer is the yin and the yang to Mike McCarthy, because I think Mike McCarthy by nature is more of a pass happy guy. I think his history would tell you he throws the football more. He values the tight end. He's got the West Coast principles. So I think this is almost like let's get somebody in here in this role that can kind of give me a totally different perspective, right? Because I think there is value in having a strong offensive line and a strong running game that you can lean on when you need to. But this but this nfl is different right like we have saw the whole trying to pound the rock with ezekiel Elliott, and you know some it just didn't work i mean ezekiel Elliott isn't here we didn't really win anything as a result of it so i think there's gotta be a disciplined focus to try to run the football but be just like schottenheimer's role i think it's going to be secondary to mike mccarthy in this west coast style
0: yeah i'm just worried because i know that like if the running if it becomes 2016 esque or 2014 esque where it's literally the running game is 90% of the offense where you rely on a hyper efficient quarterback at, on third down second and third down to pick up the rest of the offense like that's my worry because i don't think our offensive obviously our offensive line is nowhere near what it was in 14 or 16 this is a middling offensive line when you when it when it comes to run ball maybe slightly below average and then pairing the fact like tony pollard's good but he's not the best running back in the nfl he's not christian mccaffrey and so when you're talking about like or derrick henry like he's not going to be the guy that's just going to completely take over games himself and so i'm just getting a little bit worried with hiring brian brian schottenheimer some of the comments that mccarthy is making i know he he's been a pass happy guy in the past but it's almost like i'm seeing too many signs that the offense is going to become like very very run centric
1: my whole thing is it's You know, you mentioned 2014 with DeMarco Murray. Like, DeMarco Murray is an entirely different style than Tony Pollard, right? Like, DeMarco Murray in that game can get the ball 25, 30 times, and that was kind of just what he was, uh, you know, tasked to do with. I don't know if Tony Pollard's got that in him. You know, I think that's the difference. And, like, yes, you can read through the tea leaves, like you said, this running attack, you know, they tell us, like, if there's smoke, there's fire, like you said, with the running game. But then I look at the roster and how the running backs are constructed right now Who's, who's the guy that's going to tote it? Like, is it going to be Ronald Jones that gets, you know, double-digit? Is it, you know, Malik Davis, you know, Deuce Vaughn? Like, how, who is going to take the blunt of this? And, you know, the brunt of this, excuse me. Like, Tony Pollard is, he's, I mean, I think he's top 10 running back in my eyes. Like He's a guy that's dynamic. But we've heard him with his own mouth, you know, say, like, I he can get gassed at the end of games. Like, it's, it's a different role. So, to them, I don't know if they have the horses in the stable to go out and run the ball 40 times a game.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think that I do think that based off the NFL draft, that was the one encouraging aspect to me was the fact that, yeah, you didn't take a running back until the sixth round. And that sixth round running back that you took is clearly not a between the tackles runner. Who's going to be a three down guy. And so, yeah, if you have, like based off that, I was a little bit more encouraged. I just know that if the Cowboys are going to succeed in twenty twenty three, if they're going to make it to that Super Bowl, that promised land that we've has been ever alluring, I do think it's going to It's going to be the pass passing game paired with that defense taking maybe another step or at least main, staying consistent consistent with what they were last year. I just like whether you trust in Dak or not. If the Cowboys are going to succeed next year, it it is going to be on the arm of Dak. And it's going to come down to the passing game.
1: I totally agree. And my whole thing is I actually want to ask a question off of that. Understanding the differences between Brian Schottenheimer and Mike McCarthy and the different contrasts and philosophy, do you think... Now, I'm not saying... Because Kellen Moore, was he was good at what he did, right? He ended up being a scapegoat in a lot of situations for people. Um, Like, what do you... In your eyes, do you think that that Brian Schottenheimer, Mike McCarthy mix is a good mix, like maybe more so than Kellen Moore and, and Mike? Because when Kellen Moore is here, Mike was kind of like, this is your show, right? Like this is you go and you're going to call the plays and you're going to do what you got to do. But at the same time, now it's Mike maybe allows a little bit more input, Brian Schottenheimer, because he gives him a different perspective. I wonder if this is just a good you know mixture remedy between the two of them. It's tough to
0: say this is a good mix in my mind, just because I think when it comes to the offense, I just want great offensive minds. Like I, I think when you're hiring an offensive coordinator, it's just best policy just hire somebody young who, who, can come in and maybe be that like the next, like we get get thrown around a lot, but like the next Sean McVay, the next young coach. Like at least you got to take your shot there on who you think is the next great offensive mind in football. And I the Cowboys didn't do that with Brian Schottenheimer. So like, yeah, they balance a little bit, but I'd rather just have Mike McCarthy's leadership and veteran experience paired with a young mind who could potentially be a great offensive coordinator slash potential head coach one day. I think that would have been a better mix in my mind. Now with that said, yeah, there is a balance rushing and passing. So it's not horrible, but to me, just like two great offensive minds would have been better.
1: Now, so if, if I'm not putting more your out, but do you think that this was like a comfort hire? He's already on staff. They just elevate him up. He understands what they're looking to do. He understands what you know. Dak Prescott does well. So, do you think they just played it safe and kept Schottenheimer in house because of that?
0: I, I mean, I'm on record as not like I didn't love the Schottenheimer hire. I do like like we talked about at the beginning of this. He is essentially just going to be a like he's in an advisory role, so I'm not like I'm not down in the dumps about Schottenheimer, but to me, I just I have no idea why he was the choice for the Cowboys because, like we talked about, he's never really had incredible success in when you look at his offensive ranks. His now his coaching style is becoming a little bit outdated. So, I mean, if I had to, I just I don't really have a guess. Like it's a little bit safe in terms of yeah, he's been around the NFL a while so yeah, sure it's kind of safe, but at the same time, like. It, it's safe in the sense that he he's never had success so like it's i don't know if i was kind of confused by the hire
1: well, my thing is, you know, and I hear what you're saying, like you're ner- you're nervous because of his track record. And you know what? When when the national media gets a hold of it in this season, let's say there's a couple of games where like their offense isn't clicking. It doesn't look great. They'll fire shots at Brian Schottenheimer. But us here who cover the team are, are big time fans will know and be able to combat that and say, well, no, like. Make sure that the 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 aim is at Mike McCarthy because like you said, this he's an offensive coordinator by name only. This is Mike McCarthy calling the plays. This is ultimately on his back. So I I just wonder if Schottenheimer and like if you're worried about him coming in and and being disruptive to this offense or maybe even not injecting like good quality stuff. Like you said, it's not fresh, it's not Sean McVay, it's not, you know, um Shanahan but at the same time I think he could help Mike McCarthy so I I don't I don't think that he's going to come in here and make this massive you know impact on this offense I think maybe it's just overstated because of the title
0: yeah and that's I don't want to get it twisted I I'm not I didn't love the Schottenheimer hire I don't love the Schottenheimer hire I'm really negative about the hire itself but with that said I do want to reiterate I'm not like, I'm not too disappointed in it because I know, like you said, it's McCarthy's offense. And so you can only get so it would be like me getting really disappointed about the wide receiver coach hire like that. It's it's a position that only has so much effect on the team that I can only get so down in the dumps about it. And so, yeah, I'm like, I'm negative on Schottenheimer, but I am don't know if I'm negative. I'm not negative about this offense as a whole.
1: Yeah. And so kind of wrap up the segment here. I'll I'll say this quote that kind of gives me a little bit of peace of mind because I feel like I may be a little bit more optimistic about it than probably some other people are. But for me, he says, quote, Schottenheimer, the system's not broken. It's not broken. They've won a lot of games here. So I think he understands what is there. He doesn't have to come in and reinvent the wheel. He can just be a part of it doesn't want to, you know, toy with things too much. Like he's not going to go in there and be like, this is my, you know, verbiage. This is my system. This is how I call it. Like he's going to kind of in- let the players play, let Mike McCarthy be there and do his thing and just kind of be a cog in the system. So if that's an offensive coordinator that we're worried about is going to make this negative impact, I- at least I think that's a good attitude to have.
0: I agree. And another positive for Schottenheimer that we haven't really talked like. His experience, although it hasn't always been pretty, at least he has experience and he knows how to develop players. It's not like he's coming in and he's having to learn of, oh, how do I mentor a veteran quarterback like Dak Prescott? Well, no, he's worked with quarterbacks like Russell Wilson. He knows how to, you know, at this stage in his career, he knows how to coach players at different points along their journey. And so I do think that's, that is a positive is one thing that you could touch on with the, the fact that the Cowboys went with a veteran uh, offensive coordinator was the fact, yeah, he's going to know how to coach these guys. And clearly he understands his role with the team. So that is a positive.
1: Yeah. And so uh, more part, po- the less positive, right. We just were on a positive note talking about a new coordinator um, and with the being in the off season and some, th- you know talking points not being so aggressive or so much here Um, our next segment is going to be on a little bit of the downer side and I'm going to again go lean to you for your link dump again it's going to be coming out Monday morning on the blog and the boys site here but I just want to take a look at fan sided written by Kristen Wong she wrote three Cowboys candidates to be cut going into the summer if you hadn't read it go read that go check it out and we're going to do a little spoiler alert here but it's already out so no big deal like we're just giving Kristen a shout out but we're going to go over the three names she listed kind of talk about it discuss how we feel about it i'm gonna tell you right off the bat aiden you know me and if you're listening to this show you know how i feel about it the first one i don't love you know i don't love this so <laughs> yeah. with number three she mentions rico yep. Dowdle is the is a cut candidate and she said quote um, now, Dowdle has primarily developed into a special teams gadget into two seasons, playing 67% of his snaps on special teams. A less utility running back piece like Ronald Jones may have a higher chance of getting cut, yet, Dowdle's job isn't completely safe either. Um, I'll go last. Tell me what you initially think about the Rico Dowd thing. Do you think he's on the edge here? Do you think he's at risk of not making the 53? And, um, you know, how would you handle his situation?
0: Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater.
1: Learn more at marines.com.
0: I mean, I do think he's at risk of handling or of not making the 53 man roster. I do think it comes down to two things. Number one is how the team feels about Malik Jackson. or Malik Davis versus uh, Rico Dowdle. I don't like, we've talked about this. In fact, I think we talked about it a couple weeks ago. You mentioned that the team, you think the team believes in Rico Dowdle more than Malik Jackson. I would agree. I like, I, Tend to agree with you, but I don't know, like for certainty, that the team likes or likes Dowdle more than Davis. And so, if they like if they like Davis more than Dowdle, that could that brings up some interesting question marks, as well as the fact that they might like if they're only I don't know how many running backs they're going to carry on a given week. I don't know if their plan is to go with three, with like what they've done in the past when they had Ezekiel in the workhorse, Pollard is the secondary guy, and then they always brought a third name along. Or with now that Zeke's off the team, are you planning on trotting out four guys every week? And so to me, that's the two big question marks and the two big ifs. Like if if they see Malik Davis is better than Rico Dowdle and they all only want to carry three running backs, then yeah, he's absolutely at risk of not making the final roster.
1: You know, the thing is, for me, is what you're saying is it's undisputable. There's obvious situations here, but I'll take it a step further. You could have inserted almost anybody outside of, like, Tony Pollard on this list, and it would make sense to me because Rico Dow, Malik Davis, you know, Deuce Vaughn, Hunter Lepke, there's so many, so many positions. There's only so many, right? And there's a few guys vying for the spot. So if Rico beats out Malik Davis, and the reason why I keep bringing that up is because, and not you, it's not you. I'm just saying it to you. Cowboys fans have this recency bias about him. I think a lot of fans do. They they see Malik Davis was the guy who had some tough runs in Tennessee. He made some, you know, some good, some good plays over the season, but simply forget that he lost his job flat out. To Rico Dowell when the season started, Rico Dowell was on the 53-man roster. Malik Davis was not. Malik Davis ended up getting on the 53 due only to Rico Dowell's injury. So yes, Malik Davis, you know, made the most of his situation and you know the best ability is availability. So in that sense, Malik Davis did what he had to do. But on a pure apples to apples, both of them healthy, healthy on the field, Rico beat him out for the job. Now Deuce Vaughn's in the mix. Tony Pollard obviously locked in. Ronald Jones, interesting veteran piece there. So, yes, Rico Dowdle is on – you know notice but so isn't a few of these guys right so i think the running back position more so than it's ever been because as is is an interesting piece do they keep the hunter lepke because he's a true fullback who can play a little h-back maybe play tight end a little on the line there so i think it's going to be fun to watch in training camp so as much as i'm a rico dowel guy i can't really argue with what Kristen's saying there
0: yeah i mean I completely agree. Like when you go back to last season, I think a lot of uh, like, yeah, I was in on Dowdle. You were obviously in on Dowdle. We all thought that he was going to be the third running back last year. The one question I have for you is, do you think we're downplaying a little bit the impact of that Tennessee game? Because if we think back to that late, it was what late December, Tennessee game, early January, late December one, two.
1: Yeah, it was a Thursday night game in December. Yeah,
0: Yeah. Do you think, do you think we're downplaying a little bit about that? Because when you look at that game, Malik Davis was maybe one of the only good parts of that. Like, I can't think of many positives from that game outside of Malik Davis. And so, like, I know the team saw that. They saw a running back that, like, we hadn't seen before become, like, he he was the only positive from that game.
1: You know, I, I see your Tennessee Titans game, and I raise you the 49ers playoff game. When Tony Pollard got hurt, they didn't let my man see a single, like, Touch, you know what I mean. So yes, yeah. Tennessee had a good game, but then Pollard went down. They said Ezekiel Elliott is going to get every carry at running back. There was no, like literally, you know, Malik Davis didn't get a single carry. So I I tend to lean towards, you know, when the crunch when the heat is on, they didn't even give the man a look. So um, you know, and that's you know he's a rookie, he's a young guy. It's a tough spot, and the Cowboys kind of stick to the familiarity. They're not really venturing out. But again, I. Malik Davis could come out and ball out, and so could Rico Dowdle, and maybe Deuce Vaughn is everything we think he is because he's one of the fan favorite draft picks. So, I Rico Dowdle definitely one hundred percent could not be on this team, but I see the fact that he was a restricted free agent. They brought him back when they didn't have to. You know, the running back room is some turnover, it's some situations. So, um, I I wouldn't be shocked if anything really happened. To be honest with you.
0: So that's one thing that I I was going to ask you is this entire co- conversation I think we've both been operating under a mutual assumption that A Ronald Jones is almost a guaranteed locked in cut candidate and B Deuce Vaughn is locked in as, as the running back too. I'd ask you two part question. A what's the chances that Ronald Jones makes the team and B what are the chances that Deuce Vaughn doesn't make the team?
1: Wow. Because like, we
0: I, do forget, Deuce Vaughn is a six-round pick. Like there is a possibility he does not make this team. Yes,
1: yeah, that's very true, and I think people seem to forget about forget about that. And I'm glad you brought that up because six-round picks, like. That's a good story. If they if they come in and they contribute, right? So I understand he's flashy, he's fun, he's you know pint sized running back. People love that. So the, he still has some work cut out to him, you know, cut out for him. So I will say, when to your question, I think Ronald Jones and Duke Vaughn are actually going to benefit each other. I think Tony, obviously, Tony Pollard is locked in. If Ronald Jones is solidified number two running back, I think that bodes well for Deuce Vaughn because I think what they're going to do is keep those two have Deuce Vaughn be that change in pace, just different back. And then I think Hunter Lepke becomes that fourth guy. And I think Malik and Rico don't make the team. You know what I mean? So in that yeah. situation, you have two backs that are able to tote it double digits. You have a guy in Deuce Vaughn who could do special teams, and he's able to um, you know, kind of do some gadgety type things. And then Hunter Lepke can be that inline tight end H-back fullback situation. So I think if Ronald Jones doesn't make the team, then deuce fawn situations a little different because you know i mean if you're gonna i don't know i think deuce Vaughn's gonna make the team I, to answer your question i think he's he's not a lock he's I, I believe in his ability but it's like again i could talk in circles but this running back going gonna be fun in, in Oxnard.
0: i mean yeah that's one thing that i didn't hadn't really considered until just now but like if you walk into the season with the uh, tony pollard Deuce Vaughn, Rico Dowdle and Malik David that might be the shortest running back room in NFL his, like we don't have any sides there the only size like you mentioned has been Hunter Lepke, but he's not i mean he's not going to get meaningful touches at all like he's going to play that h-back fullback role and so you you need somebody who's going to pick up like 1 to 2 yards when you need it most i think we've seen Tony Pollard that's definitely not his strength and like he can pick up 1 to 2 yards but it's also going to be a one to two yards where he's has to juke and get to the outside when like Ronald Jones might like, he might be not, a, he's obviously not locked to make the roster, but he has a significantly better chance given the fact that he is the biggest running back on this roster. And it's not particularly close.
1: And on, and to add to that, like Ronald Jones is that veteran presence, like between Malik Rico and deuce. There's like not many carries there. You know what I mean? So I couldn't, I can't really now like to flesh it out. I can't think of a scenario where it's Tony Pollard and then three unknowns, you know what I mean? Or two yeah. unknowns. So it's like, and, and add to that, Ronald Jones is kind of the poster boy for Dallas this year where all those people that say running backs don't matter. Like Ronald Jones signs on a one-year deal can come in and be a productive number two running back. Like that's everything that everybody's ever told us. Don't waste draft capital. Don't waste big money. Bring Ronald Jones in. That might be the remedy for the next you know, five years. The Cowboys are going to just draft somebody late and sign somebody in free agency and see what it does at running back. Now that they don't have so much money tied up to like a guy like Ezekiel Elliott.
0: I mean, the Cowboys to their credit. And I talked about this after the draft have handled the running back position this off season outside of signing. Tony Pollard outside of franchise tagging Tony Pollard I think that was a massive mistake but when you look at what they did with signing Ronald Jones off waivers for a very cheap deal holding off on running back until the sixth round where you're then able to get an incredibly explosive athlete in the sixth round where his the only knock against him really is his height paired, paired with the fact that yeah you're still you still have two projects Enrico Dowell and Blake Davis who could definitely work out for you like that is the way you build running back the running back room in today's NFL if you didn't like if if Dallas didn't franchise tag Tony Pollard and they were just able to sign him back on like a seven to eight million dollar deal. Like I would I would be singing Jerry's praises right now because that is an amazing turnaround from paying. Ezekiel at 20 million a year.
1: Can you imagine, though, like base playing devil's advocate for what you just said? Can you imagine if going into training camp, Ronald Jones is our running back number one? Like I know that Cowboys fans would not be like in love with that. I know that we don't love spending $10 million on Tony Pollard, but if our running back room was Ronald Jones, Malik Davis, you know, Rico Dowell and Deuce Vaughn, like I know the people around here would be panicking.
0: Yeah. I would assume that if we hadn't re-signed Tony Pollard, we would have gone off after a name like Miles Sanders in free agency or somebody like that. Like it wouldn't have been Ronald Jones at that <laughs> point. It probably would have been a little bit bigger name.
1: Sure. So yeah. So we, uh, we had just allocated a ton of time to running back three, maybe running back four, but I love that. You know, give me all the Cowboys deep in depth, 53 men uh, roster talk. So, in the same vein, we're going to, to cut candidate number two from Kristen Wong, again from Fansided. Go check out her article here. Another guy, a friend of the show, somebody that I'm also another fan of, and I know you are too. She has Sean McEwen, the tight end, tight end number three, tight end number four, a guy who's gritty, does the right things on special teams, comes in, can block. He's shown some ca- catching ability with Luke Schoonmaker in here. You wonder where he fits into the mix. As far as Kristen's concerned, he doesn't. So, what is your initial thoughts, Aiden Davis?
0: I think that McEwen's an interesting question. What for McEwen? We know that at this point, he's the fourth tight end on the roster. The ranking—I don't know how the top three shake out between Hendershot, Ferguson, and Schoonmaker, but I do know that McEwen's the d- definitive fourth of those names. The one question is though: there, the Cowboys they've added some names at receiver, but they're still relatively like we've talked about it. Guys like Dennis Houston, guys like um, Jalen Tolbert, obviously Cavante. Like those are names that will likely make the final roster for the Cowboys just because of how thin they are at receiver and depth wise. There's a chance that they just walk in with more tight ends and that offsets the fact that they're not going to like, they might walk in with Five, six receivers and four tight ends, and then just run a lot of twelve personnel, which would benefit like that would be the one way that McEwen makes the roster. But to me, I I things are looking good for McEwen right now because of the fact that yeah, he is number four.
1: I think for me, Sean McEwen's biggest competition who he's gonna have to watch is Hunter Lepke. Cause if they stay I think in my opinion, the Cowboys are going to either go four tight ends or four running backs. And it's going to be between Sean McCune and Hunter Lepke. And I know Sean McCune isn't making, you know, he's not breaking the bank with his contract, being an undrafted guy in a third year, but a third year undrafted free agent, still makes more than a first year undrafted free agent. So if the Cowboys decide to penny pinch and they're like neck and neck, I could see them going with the younger guy. So I think the conversation about Sean McCune by Kristen, who brings this uh, situation up, it's a good one. I think that Sean McCune brings value, but like what, like what, is he going to take the next step, right? Because it's going to come to a situation where we've seen him do special teams. He's he's done. Sol- he's been solid. You know, he's found a role in every facet of special teams, so that's good. But what can he bring on the offensive side of the ball? And if they think that Hunter Lefke can do what he can do for slightly less money, I think it really does put Sean McEwen on the fence there. And um it pains me to say that being a kid from Massachusetts who we've had on the show before. But I think, I think Kristen's kind of um, onto something there.
0: Yeah, I I am rooting for Sean McEwen. Obviously, he's a friend of the show. We love him. But do you almost think that if it is between McEwen and Lepke that things are looking even worse for Sean in that situation because of the fact that Lepke is going to provide a little bit more versatility? And like like we just mentioned, the Cowboys don't have a big-bodied like a big bodied running back. And so if you need one to two yards, it might just be a fullback dive to Lepke at this point, which is one thing that Sean McEwen to my knowledge, can't do. So do you almost think that like if the competition is Lepke and McEwen, it's not good for Sean?
1: It's not good for Sean because Sean was the one who would line up as like a tight end in some instances. You know, I mean, excuse me, as a fullback in some instances. So yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it's a tough spot. So I think Sean McEwen has a big training camp ahead of him. I think he has to you know, hope for the best and, you know, see what Hunter can do. Maybe make some missteps as a rookie. That's what Sean's looking for, right? I think, you know, let's be, let's shoot it straight. Everyone's a friend to everybody. And, you know, you want your teammates to do great, but these dudes are fighting for jobs. So if Sean McCune can go out there and impress and Hunter can't do it, I, I think that Sean's not going to be upset with that. He would probably never say that, but that's probably the truth of the matter. Um, But yeah, he, he lines up in the fullback. He does his special teams. You get a younger rookie guy who can carry the ball better who can probably if he can catch similarly um yeah I think Sean McEwen is in in danger of possibly losing his job here
0: and you, I mean you can also throw in the fact that now like McEwen he's never been the receiving tight end on the roster he's always his specialty he's always been blocking now you add Schoonmaker who has receiving abilities Ferguson and Hendershot obviously prove that they're pretty good receiving tight ends and so like Yeah, McEwen's not, he's not going to, he's not going to add to that like group of like, he's never going to be the, the target, like the target leader of this tight end core, which like, he doesn't really have a specialty if not, if Lepke's now coming in and he's going to provide some versatility and blocking too.
1: Fair enough. And yeah, that's, I mean, it's a good point. Like you said, the, these matchups and that's the stuff that I really enjoy training camp. Obviously we know the stars. We want the stars to be healthy and, you know, to play well in training camp and see some good highlights. But I've always had a sweet, you know, a soft spot for the, the back end guys who are fighting for jobs, like having a brother that went through that situation and, and, you know, Agonizing over every rep and every you know pass set or whatever the case may be. I, I really have appreciation for that. So I root big time for these back-end guys. And um, somebody that shouldn't be a back end is gonna be our third candidate here, but he finds himself in a back end candidate, got leapfrogged by a rookie last year in the linebacker room, and we're talking about Jabril Cox. So Kristen brings up a third guy, another interesting conversation in Jabril Cox. I don't know how you feel about it, Aiden Davis, but I could see it, but I would definitely be disappointed if Jabril Cox ends up being a cut candidate after all this and you know, all this hope that people had with him.
0: Yeah, I think that this is the most unlikely name to be to be cut, at least from the ones we've talked about. But I do think there is an argument with the Cowboys drafting over Sean, who is obviously a hyper athletic tight end, who is gonna provide like that same special teams sideline to sideline flexibility that Jabril Cox was offering. Paired with the fact that Devin Harper looked solid on special teams as well. And so like if Debril Cox wants to make this roster, he can no longer be the special teams linebacker. He's going to have to prove that, yes, I can play off ball linebacker. I have the speed that the Cowboys drafted me for. And I'm going to like, he he has to return to what the Cowboys. Not expected of him, but at least like at least close. Like he's going to have to prove his value, which is something he hasn't done yet. And so I I'm, I see the path to him being cut. I do think this is the most unlikely candidate, but then again, I mean Overshawn, Devin Harper. Obviously, you have the big names in the linebacker core. I there's a pathway.
1: Yeah, and the, and that's it. Would be super disappointing, like I alluded to, because. There is a pathway. Like you said, linebacker is a spot that's probably the most question marks on this defense. The cornerback feels good. Safety feels good. Defensive line feels good. Like linebacker, there can be jobs won, right? There's young guys, young athletic talent, you know, overshown Devin Harper, like you mentioned. There's going to be jobs. Damone Clark stepping in. I think that the first real red flag for Joe Burrow-Cox, and I'm not... You know, breaking any news here is when Damone Clark just leapt him. You know what I mean? Like, hey, this guy went from a spinal fusion surgery, wasn't supposed to play, very, you know, risky, of a very slim chance of him playing. All of a sudden, he's the starter. And his yeah. first game ever was in a regular season game with no, you know, training camp reps. And so I think that is a head scratcher for Jabril Cox. And I could see this happening. But I ask you this, Aiden. Is is that a good thing? Because, you know, Jabril Cox hasn't been a world beater. He, you know, he's obviously on this conversation list for, for a reason. But would that, in your mind, be a bad thing for the depth of this linebacking core? Because he has a special teams role. He has some talent. I just, I mean, I, that might not be or bode well for this linebacker room as a whole.
0: I mean, we've talked about, especially at the beginning of the offseason, I think both of us were slightly worried about the linebacking core. I mean, especially when, like, after they had re-signed Van Der Esch, For a little bit, it was, like, Leighton Van Der Esch, I mean, granted, they haven't done a lot to address the linebacker cord this year. But if Jabril Cox is cut, that means that they've seen enough out of Overshawn. Devin Harper's taken a little bit of a step. They definitely trust Damone Clark in this situation because Damone Clark's going to be seeing a... Lot of reps at linebacker, especially now that Mike is moving to defensive end. Obviously, they have faith in Leighton Van Der Esch, and you should have faith in Leighton Rush. But, like, to me, if, if Jabril Cox ends up getting cut, that's almost going to make me more confident in our defense as a whole, specifically the linebacker core, because it means all those things happen. It means that Overshawn's looked good in the early stages. It means Devin Harper's taking that next step. It means Damone Clark looks like he can be a very pivotal piece for this defense. And so like, I wouldn't love it because I do think Jabril Cox is a project that I'd like to see finished to completion. But I mean, there would be some upside. It means that the other guys have been performing well.
1: So let me ask you this question: If if Michael Parsons is the defensive end, got a hand on the ground, and Jibril Cox doesn't make this team, who's your three starting linebackers? I know they go to two running linebackers a lot, but if they had to trot out Mike Sam and a Will, who would that be in your in your eyes?
0: I think it'd be LVE Demon Clark and probably uh, probably Overshawn at that point to get speed in there. Devin Harper, I don't think would bring enough speed. So yeah, I'd say those are probably be the three.
1: Yeah, and and that's an interesting conversation because Harper's supposed to be an athlete, right? I think Overshaw might be a better athlete. I think that's what everyone's saying, but Harper has that athletic ability. I think they said he was like he ran like a four-five or, or something last year out of Oklahoma State. So um there's talent and there's and there's youth there, but that's the problem. Like outside of, I mean, the thing is Micah Parsons. He's gonna and I think they had talked about it like Dan Quinn's like he's not done playing linebacker. That's me like kind of paraphrasing what he said. He's not done a linebacker. He's, you know, so I think in most scenarios, if it's not like a pin years back and rush kind of situation, Mike is still going to see some linebacker rep. So it's it's we're talking about the fourth linebacker anyway, but and a team that runs a lot of two linebacker, you know, sets anyway. Um, It'll be interesting to see, and especially with the safeties, because they got Donovan Wilson down and J-Ron Kirst down in some instances. So um, I I think it's an interesting conversation, but the way that the Cowboys defense is set up, it probably won't be as big as a glaring need as it probably could be for another team. But again, if Jabril Cox, who a lot of people had a hope for, including myself is one of these cut guys, I think it would be a tough situation.
0: So let me ask you mentioned like the Cowboys linebacking core relative to the rest of the league. How confident are you in our line on a scale one to 10? Like, what would you say you entered the offseason at in terms of our linebacking core? And what do you say your confidence level is now?
1: I think it stayed the same because, you know, that easily, like, I haven't felt better or worse about it. I think the draft did nothing for me to like really change how I feel about it. I would put the linebacker core is my second biggest worry behind the offensive line if the cowboys go out there and put the right pieces in place the offensive line will be fine if t- if tyron smith can stay healthy and they put tyler smith the left guard i think linebacker will be my biggest worry on this entire team
0: see i disagree with you i think maybe it's the fact that i like linebackers not as playing as dominant role in today's nfl as it used to but i'd put like receiver depth ahead of that I'd put cornerback depth ahead of that like if we're talking about an injury to like Trayvon or CD then you're going to get a guy step up that I really don't trust in at either of those positions unlike linebacker we're like yeah LV if LV gets hurt which is a very realistic possibility I do have faith in like a Devin Harper or De- DeMarvion Overshone to get increased reps So I, th- I think I'm almost at mo- I-, I think I'm more confident in linebacking core than you are
1: Well, think about cornerback, right? Like I've said that Jordan Lewis is a cut candidate and that's probably somebody I might've put on this list myself, but let's say he doesn't get cut because he's a veteran presence and they appreciate his, like how, what he brings to the team cornerback to me becomes like a like a, almost like a non-issue because let's say Trayvon Diggs gets hurt Stefan Gilmore still the outside guy they can move to Bland outside they can kick Jordan Lewis back inside and now that's a formidable you know formidable cornerback situation without getting Nation Wright or Kelvin Joseph to even see the field if linebacker goes down if Leighton Vandash goes down your starting linebackers are Damone Clark and Devin Harper or Overshawn like like you yeah. know what I mean like it's it's I, linebacker the the drop off to me, and I understand that linebacker is run is like running back where it's not as big of a premium position. You don't have to worry about the talent as much, but if you're looking at it on paper, you don't love that situation in my opinion.
0: So I'm maybe I'm a little bit lower on J. Lu than you are. Like,
1: well, I said like if told to do a cut, but like if he's the fourth cornerback yeah. on the field over nation Wright and like so do you think that Jordan Lewis So Jordan Lewis in your mind isn't even a fourth cornerback on this team
0: I know I do think he is but I think okay. that that's that's my argument is that Jordan Lewis being the fourth cornerback like it's not amazing if he has to come in here and play the slot like I, I trust him more than like obviously trust him definitely more than Deshaun Wright and Calvin Joseph but I still like I so okay so let's put this in like context, if Trayvon and LVE were to get injured on the same week and the Cowboys go into the next week and you're telling me that Damone Clark's Demone Clark and DeBarbie and Overshone are going to get a lot of reps and Jay Lou's is going to get a lot of reps. I'm more nervous about J. Lou getting burnt than I am about linebacker, just because like I said, linebackers doesn't play a huge impact. So I'd be more worried about what happens, what's going to happen to cornerback in that instance.
1: I think we have our first real old-fashioned disagreement. <laughs> but, All right. <laughs> yeah, cuz because Jordan Lewis, like Deron Bland being found and being a fifth-round guy, we can thank to Jay Lou's injury, right? Like we know Deron yeah. Bland is what he is due to his injury, but Jordan Lewis was the starting corner, uh, you know, slot nickel guy for the last like 3 or 4 years. Now he wasn't great. He's not like, you know, an all-world guy, he's not a Pro Bowl guy, but he was steady Eddie, almost how like how I felt about Anthony Brown. Anthony Brown can be replaced, Jordan Lewis can be replaced, and I think he has been replaced. But if you need to get him out there and do his thing, I think he can do his job. I don't know what Overshown and I don't know what Clark, um, you know what um Devon Harper can do. So I think right now, as we sit here in May, I'm a little bit more worried about it and i guess if because of what you said about how we feel about the linebacker position that's where your argument to me makes sense because of the less impact but again they get through they bust through the defensive line and it's one on one with some you know linebackers that don't hit the right hole that don't fill the right gaps that that's daylight to a christian mccaffrey
0: yeah i mean i do want to clarify i think like in terms of relative to their position yeah i like I trust like Jordan Lewis is a better NFL cornerback than Overshawn or Devin Harper, are NFL linebackers. Like, yeah, I do think Jordan Lewis is the better player, but I just know I've seen Jordan Lewis get burnt too many times for me not to be worried about, like in this hypothetical, that upcoming week versus like, yeah, like we might see a few running runs get broken farther than they should. But like, I, I don't think it'd be a disaster in that situation. Fair I don't enough. Know. I you guess know, agree I agree to disagree.
1: <laughs> it's fair. No, I mean, I guess I hope we never have to find out. You know what I mean? I think yeah. that would be great, but no, I you know, I think there's valid points on both sides, so I definitely respect what you're saying. Um, but you know, as as far as this episode goes, that kind of wraps it up unless there's anything, you know, you want to talk about or, or discuss and um but is there anything else you want to touch on here Aiden before we kind of go?
0: No, I think we covered it.
1: Yeah, man, I think this is another great episode. I appreciate everybody who tunes in, listens to us every week. Um, you know, it's it's so it's it's always a pleasure to do this. Please, if you wouldn't mind, like it, comment, leave a review. It means a lot to us. So again, from another episode of the First and Ten podcast, brought to you by Block and the Boys, SB Nation, Tony Catalina, and Aiden Davis. We'll catch you guys next week. Peace.